It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July 11th, 2013. Uh, My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me on the program tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Looking forward to our study tonight. Looking forward to it as well. It's good to be with you as well. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. Anthony is behind the controls. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thanks. Glad to be here. Looking forward to your uh, discussion as well. And we're looking forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com and in the chat room tonight as well. We look forward to hearing from you there. Lots of ways for you to join in the discussion tonight, and it is good to be back in the studio with you tonight. Yeah, last week we did a remote, and I think our audio quality was pretty sad last week. I don't know how many I wasn't all that happy with uh, the way it came off. We we tried to get it ready, but uh, it didn't turn out that way. No, but we're back at at home base this week, and hopefully we can, can put out a product that you'll be able to listen to and that we can all learn from. Of course, that's the purpose of the virtual Bible study. We want to spend some time together with our online uh, Bible study group talking about things that are in the Word of God, and we look forward to your participation. Remember, uh, Jacob already gave you the con- contact info, but remember also that you can join our update list. Uh, every week we send out an update as on Thursday as to what our topic will be, asking some questions for you to consider, and we're always looking for your feedback to those questions either before the program starts or during the program. We monitor our email, and we also are looking for your comments in the chat room. Um, Jacob, this week our topic is generated by a story that was in the news uh, yeah. just recently. A bizarre story. The Catholic Church is uh, up to some of their antics again, doing some things that I don't think we find in the Bible at all. Bizarre. Uh, they're going to make a couple of new saints. Yes, they are. Let me read this. This is out of the Nashville, Tennessean. It says the Roman Catholic Church will soon have two new saints, and one of their relics will be on display at a local Catholic high school. On Friday, Pope Francis, of course, he's the current pope in Rome, approved Pope John Paul II and Pope John XIII. No, excuse me, Pope John XXIII. I've got to get my Roman numerals going here. Uh, So Pope John Paul II, that we all remember, a more recent pope, and Pope John... The 23rd, they've both been approved for sainthood. I don't remember him. With their official canonization likely by the end of this year. Okay. Pope John Paul will be canonized less than 10 years after his 2005 death. Now, that's a violation of church rules. Church rules say you've got to be dead for 10 years before you can be considered for sainthood. I saw a guy get canonized. He was still alive at the circus. Yeah, shot out of a cannon. Well, that's yeah. this is a little different. Oh, different cannon. Okay, little, different cannon. A little different. Uh, this is to be made a saint. Now, of course, I don't read about that in the Bible. We're going to talk about yeah. that. But this is the Catholic Church's uh, procedure of naming people to the official status of saints or sainthood. So Pope John Paul II will be canonized less than 10 years after his 2005 death after the Vatican confirmed a second miracle attributed to his intercession. So in order to be a saint, you got to be dead for 10 years. And one of the other qualifications is you have to be someone who performed miracles in your lifetime. Uh-huh. Okay. So they say they've got a second confirmed miracle attributed to John Paul II. The family of a Costa Rican woman who had a brain aneurysm said she was healed after they appealed to John Paul II in prayer on her behalf. Mm-hmm. No second miracle was needed for John the Twenty-Third, best known for calling the Second Vatican Council the groundbreaking church meetings that opened a year before his death in 1963. The Vatican said Francis had the power to waive the second miracle requirement in the case of John the 23rd. Interesting. So in the case of both of these fellas, there are are Catholic church rules as to what it takes to be made a saint. And in the case of both of these fellas, they're going to 
sup- uh, suspend the rules and put them in uh, without meeting the, the, the rules they themselves have set for sainthood. That, is, that seems bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Now, yep. here's something else. John Paul II was from Poland, if I'm not mistaken. And apparently as a youth, he was a skier. Yeah. And so a ski jacket, once owned by the former pontiff, was donated to the school by the Vatican years ago and is prominently displayed at the school. Now, this is the Pope John Paul II this High the, School in Henderson. Yeah, right Tennessee. near us, just north of Nashville, yeah. there's this Pope John II High School, and they've got a ski jacket that was worn by Pope John Paul II. Yeah, that was, I, I couldn't, now, that, get was this, just, that was the most, uh, one of the more uh, bizarre things. Yeah, here. but wait about this, why about this? His ski jacket will become what's known as a second-class relic once he becomes a saint. First-class relics are usually things such as a piece of bone or a hair from a saint. A second-class relic is something that a saint once owned. I didn't know that. That was news to me. Praying near a relic brings a person closer to a saint on both a physical and a spiritual level. It, now that was bizarre. In other words, if you could get next to that ski jacket and yeah. pray, yeah. you'd have you'd have man, that'd be something right there. Yeah, I, that was that was bizarre. I didn't know the man had, could ski. You know, I, the pick, you know all the time I remember him, he that would be the last thing that he would want to do. But uh, that, that this ski jacket. I mean, if you had one of his dirty socks and you prayed near that, is that a good thing? Well, or? that's a that, that that's a definitely a second class relic. <laughs> yeah. But but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, and we're make, we're honestly all this discussion is tongue in cheek. We're actually making some satirical comment about the practice of the Catholic Church in regard to sainthood, because all of that is just stuff that they've dreamed up that's nowhere in the Bible at all. Let us know your thoughts. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. Yeah, that news article is shocking, but. Um it does call to light some of their practices, and maybe is a good opportunity for us to yeah, compare we just, their practices with what the Bible teaches. We thought we would use that as a springboard to discuss what the Bible really says about sainthood. Okay. Obviously, that's a biblical topic. Yeah, It's been grossly perverted by the Catholic Church, but it is a topic addressed in the Scriptures, and we want to see what the Bible says about that. All right, you sent us some questions today. To our update list earlier today, remember, get on the list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Uh, here's what we sent out to our update list. Number one, explain who are the true who the true saints were in the first century. In other words, who were true saints in the first century church? Specifically, was this title or designation limited to a few elite persons, to high-ranking leaders in the church, or to others who met certain qualifications? All right. In other words, was this a limited title to certain people? What's up with that? Okay. Number two. Uh, Biblically, what does one have to do in order to become a saint? Okay. And then number three, for those who are saints, what blessings are associated, what responsibilities come with it, and what things are not guaranteed even though you wear the title saint? Mm, Okay, you're alluding to the fact that some of these saints could still be alive. Yeah, well, well, yeah, yeah. There, there is an implication in yeah. in the way that those questions are worded right. to suggest that maybe some are still alive. All right. Uh, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of occurrence of this in recent years. An, another uh, well-known Catholic individual was Mother Teresa, yes, who did a lot of charitable work in India, and we uh, and certainly we commend the charitable work that she did. Uh, assuming that it was accurately reported to us, she seemed to be quite a benevolent person yes. and, and wouldn't make light of that at all. But there was uh, some discussion about her and sainthood. And I don't know whether they did or not. I think they did follow through and make her a saint. I'm not sure. Uh, of course, now we've got this current uh, situation with John Paul II, a pope that many of us will remember in the news within our lifetimes, and then one a little older, John the Twenty Third. Uh, all, I, I, I just think that all illustrates there's a great misunderstanding about the biblical term. And so we want to talk about it. We want to properly define it. Uh, you know, here's, here's another way I think that term is misused, Jacob. Sometimes you'll hear a Christian say in regards to how they're living their life, well, I'm no saint. Oh, yeah. You know, if this person is a Christian. They say, well, I'm, uh, you understand, I'm no saint. And what they're saying about that is they're not living their life uh, 
to perfect a, to, a, to a, a higher equivalent. Yeah, and usually people who make that kind of expression are yeah. sort of excusing some moral yeah. misbehavior that they've been engaged in. Uh, but but if you if you were to go up to some, I, my guess is Jacob that if you went up to the average person on the street and said, "Are you a saint?" Yeah, they would say no. no. And, and if you and you said, "Would you believe that I am one?" They would say, "No, you're not." Yeah, you know because because this Catholic uh, uh, perversion of sainthood has become such a common uh, misunderstanding among religious people that most people would be shocked if they learned that anybody claimed sainthood, claimed right. that they were a saint. But we'll right. find from the Bible that all Christians really are saints. All right. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. So let's it look does at, not appear that Mother Teresa is a saint. Oh, she's not yet. Okay. No. But you know, I think she probably will be in time, okay. Okay. Uh, according to the Catholic Church at least. Okay. All right. Now, let's look to this. What does it mean to be a saint? How do we define it biblically? Uh, Obviously, for Catholics and other people, the status is reserved for a, a very, very few people who are extremely exemplary, who have even performed miracles, and who have been dead over ten in years. general for over ten years. You have <laughs> yeah. to be dead. Yeah, you got to be dead. Well, they might get to, maybe they can. No, I don't think that. they, they can't no, leave that. No, they can't. They can't make a living person a saint. But There's, that's a hard you, stop. You got to be dead. Okay, you got to be dead. And usually ten years at least. Okay. Usually quite a bit longer than that. I mean, okay. usually it's uh, quite a lot longer than that. Okay. So they, they're thinking John Paul II was he was way, way up, up there. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, look, look at the New Testament in Acts chapter nine, verse thirteen. It says, uh, this was when the man Ananias had been told to go and speak to Saul of Tarsus in the city of Damascus. Yes. And Ananias objected when he said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. So so Saul of Tarsus had been persecuting the saints at Jerusalem. Uh Now, had, had Saul just been targeting... Uh, certain specific individuals, just the ones who had attained. Well, obviously they were living persons. That would be different. Yeah, than, right. Unless he's going to like the catacombs and finding dead bodies. They, they were living persons. Yeah. Uh, but had he just been targeting certain ones of the Christians? That's not what Acts eight says. In Acts eight verse four, it says, "As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison." Uh-huh. In every house, there were men and women that he was persecuting. Uh, that they was persecuting. And then over in chapter nine, yeah. it says that he had been persecuting the saints at Jerusalem. And if he found any that are in, in verse two of Acts chapter nine, he was headed to Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them out of Jerusalem. And so okay. you, you, you begin to see the term saint there is being used generally to apply to all the Christians. Yes, it appears to is. Uh, in Acts 9, uh, verse 32, uh, it says, It came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all the quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Obviously still living people uh, who were at Lydda. And so... Uh, Again, we see how that term's being used. And you know, they probably they probably hadn't even been Christians for ten years at some of the. Oh no, no, no! Actually, actually, in Acts nine, that would be prior to the to ten years of Christianity. Yeah, so <laughs> the church hadn't even been in existence for ten years. Right. Here are people, living people called saints in the churches right. of that first century. Right. Now, someone might say, "Well, maybe that, that even in that early day was a title." That was reserved for maybe the elite ones, the leaders of the church, the really, really, the, the, the special ones. No, it seems to be clearly a title that was applied to all Christians. Hebrews thirteen twenty four: Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints. Notice, salute those who have the rule over you. That would be the church leaders. Yes, we mm-hmm. think that would apply to elders in local right. congregations. But however you take that, salute those that have the rule over you, and all the saints. And so it wasn't just the church rulers or leaders who were saints. Everybody was a saint. Hebrews 13:24. Yeah. And then in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Notice there were bishops, we would call that's a, a name synonymous with yeah. elders. There were bishops or elders and deacons and all the saints. They, they all were Christian. All the Christians were saints 
in Philippi. All right. And so you get the idea that the proper definition of the term saint is that it, in the first century it applied to every Christian, that it wasn't a, a limited uh, designation that pertained to certain people specifically. All right. Uh, to your question, who the true saints were in the first century, uh, Ramona has replied tonight uh, from Texas. Ramona says saints are not venerated. In New Testament usage, a saint... Uh, which uh, the Greek word means the mo- uh, a most holy thing, is anyone who has obeyed the gospel and has been sanctified or made holy by faith in Christ. Hebrews 2, verse 11. Both the, ones who make, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. It is a descriptive word, not a title. Romans 1, verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripturally speaking, the saints are the body of Christ, Christians, the church. All Christians are considered saints. Spot on. Spot on, Ramona. Thank you, you, Ramona. You have that very well uh, tied down there. And I like your reference to the word saint coming from the same root word as sanctified. Uh Uh-huh. The word sanctified, she says it means literally made holy, and it does more more, uh, on a more sort of common definition it means to be set apart anything that you set apart is a sanctified thing now it's usually used only in religious terms but if you were using it in a common sense if you had something i've used the illustration before jacob i've got an old uh, pan in the garage it actually came out of an old refrigerator yes old, old and for 40 years at least, I've been using it to drain oil. I, and when I change the oil in my car, I drain yeah. it into that old refrigerator pan. Right. And I've, I've used the expression before, that's a sanctified oil pan. Yeah. In other words, that is set apart to that specific use. And after all these years, you wouldn't want to use it for anything else. But I've sort of jokingly called that the sanctified oil pan. It's yeah. set apart for that specific use. That is the, the the literal meaning of the word sanctified, and from that same root comes the word saint, one who is set apart or made holy, dedicated, devoted to God. All right. We need to take a break, and when we get back, we'll continue the discussion, looking at what the Bible says about saints, comparing it with the recent news that uh, there are going to be a couple new saints in the Catholic Church. Is that something we find in the Bible? Is that a pattern uh, that we see uh, demonstrated in the Bible, or are the Catholics... Uh, doing something different from what the scriptures teach. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance... Please contact us, send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Henry Ford said, There is no man living that cannot do more than he thinks he can. Every great story on the planet happened when someone decided not to give up but kept going no matter what. It's not about time. It's about choices. How are you spending your choices? Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight and we welcome you back as well as we talk about sainthood and what the scriptures teach about that and compare it with what the Bible says. We want to hear from you. 
The line's toll free. The, the line is open, and it's ready for you to call. 877-381-4567. And the chat room is dead quiet tonight, but you're welcome to comment and chat there. You need to sign in. Very easy to do. Follow the instructions at the bottom of the chat window. My guess is, Jacob, what we're dealing with here is uh, probably the summer summertime doldrums. Uh, you know, it be, is that people, Because it stays light out longer, and people are out uh, doing things later on a Thursday evening, and we understand you know, that. And we know we know a lot of people end up picking up the our study over our archives, and that's good, too. Yes, it is good, and we appreciate you joining us on the archives. And uh, you're just as uh, important to us as anyone. And if you have any thoughts or comments, we welcome those at any time. You hear from our listeners uh Fairly often, and, yeah. uh, and if you have something you disagree with or if you have a suggestion for a topic, we always look forward to hearing from you on suggestions or questions you'd like discussed on this program. Send those in. To and we've got, we've got a com. stack of questions that we've been accumulating, and I think pretty soon, maybe even as early as next week, Jacob, we need to get to some of those questions that listeners have sent in. And I know the summer doldrums, the summer summertime blues happen because, you know, John Duvall out in Edmond, Oklahoma, has the Scriptural Way broadcast. And... Uh, I think it was last week, last Tuesday night, he he emailed me about 5 o'clock. He needed somebody to help him with the program because all of his people were gone. I don't know if he emailed you or not. No, I didn't hear from him. Anyway, I didn't see the email till Wednesday morning. He <laughs> oh. says emails on Tuesday. Tuesday Tuesday evening, we're out in the yard with the kids trying to get rid of some energy out there. and. Uh, so you know that's what happened. You I think I had that pro. I think I had his program on that night, and he was the only one on the, on the set. Oh well, see, there you go. But yeah, that's what happened. I mean, people are busy, so you may not be listening to us live. Maybe you normally do. And if you do have the opportunity to listen to us live, we do appreciate uh, those who listen live who can help with the discussion in the chat room and on the phone. But if you're not, we welcome you as well. Appreciate you. And if listening. you get a chance, you archive listeners, if you get a chance on Thursday evening to listen live, try to do so. We always tell people, turn the TV off and use your computer for something good for a change. And so, if you, you know, although you may listen regularly in the archives, uh, if you have that Thursday night time slot open, join us live. You know, we may have to wait, though, till the sun retreats to the southern hemisphere. Down, it goes down there and uh, pays James Buchanan uh, down in South Africa a visit. We have, you know, if the light days get shorter, then we may yeah. get more listeners. Yeah. All right, we're going back to our questions about saints, Jacob. The Catholic Church has got a completely perverted notion of sainthood. We're trying to figure out what the Bible says about it. We've already discovered that clearly in the first century, all Christians were identified as saints. Therefore, if we do the same things that they did, then we would be considered saints as well, simply people who are set apart, dedicated to serving God in our lives. You know, you don't see any distinction here. They, they just use it. Just it appears that this word is being used for everyone who is a Christian. There's no special uh, instruction on uh, on on these rules that the Catholic Church has, and we don't see that it's that there's anything, un, or uh, you know, not, that's not just typical of a Christian here being described as a saint. I think that's right, uh, Jacob. In the New Testament, um, in order to become a saint, that was the second question we asked in the Bible. What must what what, what was required of one? What did you have to do? become a saint well i want you to think about this now remember what the catholics say you have to live a long life of outstanding service and the and the title saint is sort of a reward for a way above average life lived uh, in right. the catholic church mm-hmm. but in the new testament you get this i thought this was a kind of an interesting observation in the new testament you become a saint by admitting that you aren't one Wow! Get that? Did you get that, Anthony? Did you pick that up? That was that was a little bit. Uh, that was profound. You, you, you have yeah, to. Profound. You become a saint by admitting that you're a sinner, by humbly coming to God to seek His forgiveness through the blood of Christ. You respond to His call through faith and obedience. And I want to use as a, as a point of emphasis on that the passage that Ramona suggested, Romans one verse seven, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Knows people are called. God calls people to be a saint. You don't have to, you don't wait for somebody else to designate you as a saint. Uh-oh. God calls you when you answer His call. Of course, we Uh-oh. believe He calls through the gospel. Uh-huh. When you answer the call, then uh, in in faith and obedience, you are therefore uh, a saint. You're called. That's the that's the calling that you receive from God. In order to be saying, I was trying to find here, should have had it open already, in Second uh, Thessalonians 2, I think it's 2.14, is it? 
whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the call, is the, we should explain that that calling of God is not some mysterious, better felt than told experience. It is the gospel. The gospel calls us, we hear the message, and we respond in faith and obedience. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, that same text of Romans chapter 1 at verse 5 talks about obedience to the faith. Yes. Um, uh, again, Second Corinthians two fourteen, we're called by the gospel. An- another passage that makes that same uh, statement, First uh, Corinthians one t- verse two, First Corinthians one verse two, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Notice this: with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Uh, now, I tell you, in the city of Corinth in particular, there were a lot of immoral people in that group. But, oh, yeah. He goes on in, verse, in chapter 5. Chapter 6. Uh, chapter 6. Nine, verses 9 and 10 to yes, identify yes. a lot of the sins that they'd been guilty of committing. Wow. And yet they were called to be saints. And so they definitely weren't meeting the sort of the Catholic Church mold of what it would be to be saint. But to be a, to biblically to be a saint, you have to respond to God's call in the gospel. That is, you have to become obedient to the things taught in the Word of God. Okay. Then, of course, uh, you you need to strive to continually live faithfully to the Lord. Let me give you a few verses along that line. Again, what we're we're really keying on here, Jacob, is how this word is used in the New Testament. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So, what you have there, he, that wasn't two groups. It wasn't the saints and the faithful. Those are two descriptions of the same people. The saints, which were at Ephesus, were the ones who were faithful to Christ Jesus. Yes. In Colossians 1, verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, verse 2. Again, not two separate groups, the saints and the faithful brethren. They were all the same, and that, that's very typical sort of redundant expression that we find in the Scripture. Two terms to identify that same group of people. They were the saints. They were the faithful brethren okay. in Christ. All right. So if you in the Bible, our question was, what would you have to do in order to become a saint or be a saint? In first century times, you would, you would have to be one who had been obedient to the gospel plan of salvation and was li- and and then would continue to live your life faithfully. We, of course, we, that's what we teach. If you want to be right with God, you must hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live faithfully. And and all of that is, uh, is what it takes to be pleasing to God. And if you're pleasing, and, and if you do those things to be pleasing to God, you are a saint. All right. Um. Uh. Let's see what else uh, you would. Uh, um, be a member of God's family. That's another expression um, that uh, it denotes sainthood. The sainthood and being a member of God's family, those are used synonymously. Yes. Uh, in uh, Ephesians 2.17 beginning, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Mm-hmm. So all who, again, had come to Christ in obedience, they were you were in God's family, you were among the saints. Okay. So, uh, again, all, all of that is descriptive of, of what it means to be a saint and so different than what we're seeing uh, d- displayed by the Catholic Church. And again, I'm, I'm pretty shocked, Jacob, that the Catholic Church's perverted view of sainthood has has become sort of the standard that most people relate to when that term comes up. All right. We need to take a break and get this week's bullet point. We'll continue the discussion. When we get back from the other, other, on the other side of the break, we'll compare what you've shown with some of the things, some of the rules for the Catholic. We've talked about some of them. Have you got them up? I think we've got more here that we can look at, uh, okay. showing some rules that they've developed. Compare them with what you've got to, from the scriptures, and we'll see uh, how they line up. We want to hear your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. 
When the tribes of Reuben and Gad, and ultimately part of Manasseh, had requested to obtain their land inheritance on the east side of the Jordan River, Moses agreed, but with a strict condition. The tribes would need to send their fighting men into the promised land with the rest of the Israelites. Only after the land was conquered would they be free to return to the areas east of the Jordan. The terms that Moses specified were quickly agreed upon, but a warning about, quote, the fierce anger of the Lord was issued. If they failed to comply with their promise, Moses assured them, be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, verse 23. It is equally important for us to fulfill our promises to God. Do we really think that he fails to observe when we neglect to do what we committed ourselves to do? Do we actually imagine that the God of heaven would be less offended by us when we abandon our pledges to him today, or that he would be any less likely to punish us? Christian, have you considered some of the essential promises you made when you chose to obey the gospel? Here's a partial list of your promises, and they were made, remember, to God. You promised to put him first in your life, Matthew 6, verse 33. You promised that you would not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. You promised to teach others by word and example, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. You promised to love your brethren, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10. This list, obviously, could be lengthened considerably, but our point is simple. Others may not notice, but God is constantly observing all that we do and say, Hebrews 4, verse 12. You made promises when you became his child. Be aware that if you do not follow through and keep those promises, quote, your sin will find you out. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the program tonight, and we welcome you back to the program, 877-381-4567. We're talking about saints on the program. Looking forward to hearing from you. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And if you are in with dri- within driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, the best way for you to find out more about us is by visiting us at one of our services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for Bible study, 1030 for worship. Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. for another period of worship, and then Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. with Bible classes for all ages. We'd welcome you to come and visit with us. Or if you are outside of the Columbia, Tennessee area, you can find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. As we talk about saints on the program tonight, we're seeing a difference between what the Scriptures say about becoming a saint and uh, some of the practices of uh, of the Catholic Church. Well, the chat and the chat room is deadly silent tonight. Uh, obviously, this is... I think this is not a controversial topic, Jacob. When you go to the Bible, this is, this is, as you might say, is an open and shut case. The scriptures yeah. are very clear on what a saint, what it means to be a saint and what you must do to become a saint. Uh, you've, you've found some, uh, Catholic Church qualifications for sainthood. Now, again, contrast this with what we've been reading in the scripture. Well, I see here, uh, that, uh, well, it's also called canon, canonization. Uh, but you, there are several steps. First off, you have to be a servant of God. Uh, the, lead, the process leading towards canonization begins at the uh, diocesan level. A bishop with jurisdiction, usually the bishop of the place where the candidate died or is buried, although other ordin, another ordinary, ordinary can be given uh, this authority. I guess permission to open an investigation into the virtues of the individual responding to a petition by members of the faithful, either actually or pro forma. So you've got to have sort of a you got to you got to be recommended. You've got to have sort of a nominating, yeah, nominating session, sort of. Right, and that's by other people. Okay, so then they open up the investigation. There's an investigation involved, and uh, and so that uh, goes on. This investigation usually opens no sooner than five years after the death of the person being investigated. So you've got to wait five years before you can even open the investigation. Okay. All right. Uh, The Pope, as Bishop of Rome, may open a process and has the authority to waive the five-year waiting period, as was done for Mother Teresa by Pope John Paul II. Maybe she is a Pope. I'm saying, I don't know. I know they talked about it. I don't know if she made it or not. All right. Um, Normally, a guild uh, or organization to promote the cause of the candidate's Sainthood is created. So okay, and that, like, and that and that's in Second Thessalonians, I think, isn't it? Second opinion. <laughs> and, uh, and what happens is, it sort of it sort of sounds like you know, like the president has a campaign office. Maybe they're setting up something like that. Um, and then uh, let's see, where are we? Um, when uh, um, they they do an exhaustive search uh, of the candidates' writings, speeches, and sermons. Uh, a detailed biography is written, and eyewitness accounts are gathered. When sufficient information has been gathered, the investigation 
of the candidate who is called servant of God is presented by the local bishop to uh, the Roman Curia, in particular the congregation for the causes of the saints. When uh, it is assi- uh, where it is assigned a postulator whose task is to gather further information about the life of the servant of God, religious orders who regularly deal with the congregation often have their own designated postulator generals. At some point, permission is then granted for the body of the servant of God to be exhumed and examined. They've got to dig you up and you examine kidding? you. Did okay. you know that? I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't, but that may be because you, I was looking uh, earlier, and there's some miracles that were supposedly bodies of saints did not decay. So they may they oh. got to check to make sure that. Well, if you didn't decay, then I guess that's an automatic yeah, ticket. Yeah, maybe so. But okay, uh, a certification is made that no superstitious or heretical worship or improper cult has grown up around the servant or his or her tomb, and relics are taken. So I guess you got to get, they, they want to have the bones in case they need the relics. All right, so that's the first process. That's the first step. Wow. Uh, that's now, just the first step. Uh, again, all of, that, all of that is so anti-biblical. There's, there's not a shred of that in the scriptures. And so... This is this is the thing that's really troubling. How can people put confidence in that man-made organization when they're just dreaming up rules and regulations that are nowhere found in the Scripture? And we don't want to be and, offensive. And, and, we don't well, want to be offensive to those who would hold to this. It just it just seems it it seems very bizarre to those who are on the outside looking in. Well, but the thing of it is, how can you have confidence in that organization when on something as as simple as this, they are completely at odds with what the Bible teaches? Yeah. You know that that's just not in the Bible. That's the, what they're teaching and the practices that they're engaged in there are simply not in the scriptures. Uh, how how can you have confidence that that's the right thing to do? That goes after they do this. Uh, the first thing of determining determine if this was a servant of God, I guess. Uh, they the next step is venerable, heroic, and virtue. When enough information has been gathered, the congregation will make, recommend to the Pope that he make a proclamation of the servant of God's heroic virtue, that is, that the servant exhibited the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and the cardinal values of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance to a heroic degree. This is that idea of super uh, super Christian status here. Uh, from this point, the one said to be uh, heroic in virtue is referred to by the title venerable. Uh, the a venerable has yet uh, has as yet no feast day, no churches may be built in his or her honor, and the church has made no statement on the person's pro- uh, probable or certain presence in heaven. But prayer cards and other materials may be printed to encourage the faithful to pray for a miracle wrought by his or her intercession, as a sign of God's will that the person be canonized. So you can't worship this person. You can't have a feast day. You can't have churches built in their honor. As if a true saint would want to have a feast day or churches built in his honor. We'll go on. Um, After this, you become blessed. Uh, Beatification is a statement by the church that is worthy of belief that the person is in heaven. So they're determining whether this person is in heaven or not. The church is worthy of belief that the person is in heaven having come to salvation. This step depends on whether the venerable uh, is a martyr or a confessor. For a martyr, the Pope has only to make a declaration of martyrdom, a certification that the venerable gave his or her life voluntarily as a witness for the faith and or in an act of heroic charity for others. So so similar to the, the Muslim tradition that if you're a martyr, you go straight to heaven. Is what they seems to be here. If the venerable is not, was not a martyr, all non-martyrs are confessors, as they confessed or bore witness to their faith of, by how they live their lives. It must be proven that a miracle has taken place by his or her intercession. That is, that God has shown a sign that the person is enjoying a beatific, a beatific uh, vision by God, performing a miracle in response to the blessed's prayer. So you pray to this individual. And, then you and get if a he's response. able to intercess to God and get a miracle back down to you, then that indicates that he must be in heaven, I guess, with God. It got a special connection there. All right. Uh, and after this, the person is canonized. Of course, that, that, that completely begs the question of whether miracles are, are even happening in okay. a world which we believe they are not. Yeah. And we've studied from the scriptures that modern day miracles are not taking place. But you, uh, that's a side issue here. Uh, their process for becoming a saint requires the doing of something we believe the Bible 
doesn't allow it to be done today. Well, interesting. Today, these miracles are almost always miraculous cures, as these are the easiest to establish based on this Catholic Church or Church's requirements for a miracle. The patient was sick. There was no known cure for the ailment. Prayers were directed to the venerable. The patient was cured. The cure was spontaneous, instantaneous, complete, and lasting, and doctors cannot find any natural explanation. And so that means it was a miracle. And then after this, you're, saint, you're, you're canonized as a saint. At least two miracles must have been performed through the saint's intercession after his her death. Um, and uh, and uh, canonization is a statement uh, of the, by the church uh, that, uh, oh, the saint is assigned a feast day which may be celebrated anywhere within the Catholic Church, although it may not appear on the general calendar or local calendars as an obligatory feast. Parish churches may be built in his or her honor, and the faithful may freely and without restriction celebrate and honor the saint. There you go. Okay. All right. So, again, just a wholesale formulating of uh, Catholic Church doctrine that is not found in the Scripture. Okay. All right. I mean that that, that 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 would be the right definition of that, wouldn't it? I mean, it, it seems to be a lot of man-made uh, rules. It's all man-made. That's what I'm right, saying. Right. It's, it's completely man-made, right. and it's it's in contradiction to what's taught in the scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So uh, yeah, you're, you're in the middle. That's a good contrast. You're in middle in the middle of showing us what the Bible taught about. Uh, well, we, we 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 covered that. We talked about how the Bible teaches one to become a saint. Uh, uh, another part of our questions that we sent out earlier today was, what What are, by the way, I don't think we picked up, we did have the one response from Ramona. Yeah, Ramona says, first one must hear and believe the gospel. John seventeen seventeen says, sanctify them through your truth, your word is truth. Then one must be cleansed of sin by the power of Jesus' blood. Hebrews 13, verse 12 says, Jesus died that he may sanctify the people with his own blood. Ramona is, is hinging this discussion on the idea that saint means sanctified. And so you're sanctified by the truth, uh, John 17, verse 17. You're sanctified by Jesus' blood, Hebrews 13, verse 12. But how does a person receive the benefits of Jesus' blood, Ramona goes on. Romans 6, verse 3 says that we are uh, baptized into his death. Ephesians 5, 26 says that Christ gave himself for the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So a person becomes a saint when he is baptized in obedience to the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ramona, for tying all that together. All right. Thank you, Ramona. All right. Let's let's pick up. We've got just a, a minute or two before our last break. Let's pick up what are some of the responsibilities that come with being a saint. Yes. You know, that it, it's one thing to talk about how you become one or or how you properly identify a saint. It's not just a it, sticker that you wear on your shirt. Yeah, it's though. not a title. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a role that you perf- that you perform. Uh, what are some of the things that saints are expected to do? Well, for one thing, you're expected to earnestly contend for the faith. From Jude, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. The word delivered there uh, suggests entrusted. In other words, and so the word of God is entrusted to the saints, and you're expected to contend for what's right. and so the question is, as uh, are you a person who will take a stand when there's a conflict between right and wrong, uh, when error is being promoted, when troublemakers are trying to tear the church apart, will you contend for the faith? It's been entrusted to the saints, and, and we're expected to defend it. So that would be a, a requirement or, or a responsibility associated with you not wearing the title saint, but actually being a saint, a child of God, in the family of God, a Christian, you're going to contend for the faith. Interesting. Okay. Another thing that you would do as a saint is that you would demonstrate faith and patience in trials and persecution. In Revelation 3, verse 10, uh, remember the message of Revelation was written to persecuted Christians who were, who were dealing with a lot of tribulation and trials and hardships. And uh, it is said to them... In Revelation 13, verse 10, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Uh, in other words, uh, in the face of discouragements, don't lose heart. Have patience and faith uh, throughout all those trials. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, in so, a minute about some of the things that are not promised to saints. And one of them is that we're not promised a trouble-free life. So pa- saints must have faith. 
uh, and patience. Exactly right. Um, in other words, I, I guess to, to sort of summarize that, it, it, it's an ongoing relationship. It's not a – you get the idea from all those rules and regulations you were reading there, Jacob, about the, from the Catholic Church that, you know, once you got it, you got it. It's a, it, In other words, once you've crossed the, that hurdle and being identified as a saint, then it, 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 that's it, you know. Yeah. But from the scriptures, you get the idea that this is an ongoing responsibility that that as saints we live a certain way we we defend god's truth uh, we endure persecution and trials and so forth uh, ramona said romans 16 verse 2 that you receive her in the lord in a manner worthy of saints and then from oh. ephesians 4 verse 12 for the equipping of the saints the work of service to the building up of the body of christ ephesians 5 3 but immorality and impurity or greed must never be named among you as is proper among the saints. You've got a standard to live up to. So she mentioned several good things there that you live, that, that, that there are certain things that are worthy of saints and there are things that are not. You're expected to live in a manner that is worthy of the saints. All right. All right. Let's Very take good. a break, go to the top of the hour. When we get back, we'll continue the discussion. We need to talk about. Some other things associated with this, some blessings associated with it, and some things that are not guaranteed. Uh, that's interesting. All right, we'll look at that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Hi. My name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Researchers at the University of Washington Center for Study of Health and Risk Behaviors who analyzed data on infidelity taken from the General Societal Survey found that roughly 20% of men and 15% of women under age 35 admitted to cheating on their spouses in 2006. And those are the latest figures available. That's up from 15 and 12% respectively 15 years earlier. According to David Popino, founder and co-director of the National Marriage Project at Rutgers University, part of the problem is, quote, that we've become an anything-goes society in which the indiscretions of politicians, sports figures, and pop celebrities are practically daily news. Interestingly, research shows that infidelity rates are much higher among cohabiting couples, which are at an all-time high, than among married couples who don't live together first. Additionally, the study found that men under age 35 were two and a quarter times more likely to have cheated if they had seen an X-rated movie. All of that information is via Fox News. The Word of God says in Hebrews 13, verse 4, Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And to say that we're waiting to hear from you is an, a vast understatement. I had to refresh my screen because I thought my chat room was broken. It is dead, dead, That's the quietest dead. the chat room's been and I, and I, that I can remember. It's o'clock in the chat room tonight, yeah, but yeah. that's all right. Oh, oh, Anthony just put sad faces. Right? <laughs> I don't know if it, it doesn't help me that you're in the same room chatting with us. Oh, man, that doesn't have the same effect. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, all right. it is what it is. People are obviously busy tonight. It's you know this is still sort of the aftermath of the Fourth of July weekend, and so I'm sure people are still catching up. We understand that. Okay. Uh, hopefully, you can catch us oh, in. Cast eight twenty is he's has got his his or her ears on. Tonight, good, so thank good. You. And we hope That's that several people. Four. We hope that a lot of people will be able to pick this up in, right. in the archive version. 
we ask, what blessings are associated with being a saint? Well, since saint means that you have obeyed the gospel, then one of the blessings would be forgiveness of past sins. Yes, right? yes. And we talked about the ongoing responsibilities of living as a saint, trying to live right, contending for the faith, being patient in, in trials and persecutions as a member of God's family. So presently, we would have the blessings of being in a relationship with God and having his help as uh, as our father as we live our daily lives. And living that way in and of itself would be a blessing, you know, because exactly right. you're, you're, not, you're, you're living the way that God wants you to live and the way that God's told you is best for you. And then, of course, the ultimate blessing is that we have the the, the great inheritance uh, in heaven. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Yeah. So there's an inheritance for the saints. Second Thessalonians 1, beginning verse 8. The Lord will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction, when he, that is the Lord, shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. So the wicked will be punished. The the saints will be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we have all of those blessings associated with it. But i, I got to think then, Jacob, if that's the case, being a saint, man, that that sort of be like... Uh, Everything coming up roses. Everything would be just ideal. If you, in other words, you probably ought to become a Christian because everything will be so easy for you thereafter. Uh, so saints have it on easy street. Well, obviously we're, we're speaking uh, 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 with tongue in cheek because that's not the promise uh, that comes to Christians. There is no promise that you will have a trouble-free life just because you are a Christian or a saint. One one set apart, dedicated to serving God. Um, Acts 26, verse 9, beginning. Paul said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Paul was talking about his former life there as a mm-hmm. persecutor of Christians. And he said that he put many of the saints in prison, and some of them were put to death. Mm. So just because they were saints didn't mean they had it made in the shade, so to speak. Okay. Uh, and then Second Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So ah. we know we know that to be the case. So, so we've got spiritual blessings, but physical blessings aren't guaranteed. Yeah, and, and even... Even physical necessity, we're not even promised that all of our physical needs will be met necessarily, although we do have some avenues for assistance that other people don't have. In Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 10, Paul said, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. So notice... Not only were saints being persecuted, some of them had physical necessities, Mm -hmm. but they were being met. Other Christians were stepping up to provide for those needs, but those some of those saints were in physical necessity. Yes. Uh, Romans 15 verse 25, Paul said, "I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints." which are at Jerusalem. There were poor saints among the Christians at Jerusalem. Yep. You know, that's something else we might, you know, just to show that there was no distinction. He said he was going to minister to the saints. There were poor saints at Jerusalem. He was taking a gift to help them with their physical needs. Now, if there were some who were saints and then there were the other Christians, you suppose Paul was just going to help the saints and ignore the other needy Christians? That's not that's not no, the case. No. Obviously, they were all one and the same. Good points. All right, let's get to Ramona's response uh, in Texas tonight. Blessings associated with saints. Blessed be the Father and God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians one verse three. The blessings of his of fellowship or sharing in the good things of God, which he says are found in his Son, is one of the blessings of being a saint. Also, Ephesians one verse three. He says we are chosen or elect in Christ. He also says we are made holy and blameless in him, verse 4 of Ephesians 1. We, be, we become sons of God through Christ, verse 5. We are told that we have redemption and forgiveness in Christ through his blood, verse 7. We have obtained an inheritance in him, verses 10 and 11, as well as our hope, verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 1. Finally, the passage says we are sealed in him 
with the Holy Spirit, verse 13. Thank you for that rundown, Ramona. Appreciate uh, those comments. Thank you very much. And what things are not guaranteed. Ramona says we can still fall away and must try constantly to live the life of the saint as presented in the New Testament. All right. I think we've covered that topic. I think we've we've looked thoroughly at what the Bible says about now, saints now, and sainthood. And, uh, again, a marked contrast to what the Catholic Church practices. Uh, we've got to go with the Bible, not the Catholic Church. That's it. it illustrates how far you can go when you leave the Bible. And that's the scary thing because... But, you know, honestly, in, in fairness to Catholics, they believe they can do that. They believe the church can legislate. Of course, that's a fundamental problem uh, and a great difference that we have with them. We read all of their rules and regulations for becoming a saint. In other words, they've taken that, they've even taken that title or that, that uh, term and m- misused it. But they believe that they have the authority to do such legislating, to set up such rules. And that's a real fundamental problem we have with them. But you know, they are at a certain point down a road that many there many others are on the same road. They just haven't gone as far down it. I think that's right. Uh, and many, Anthony, are, are on that road. And maybe they're just starting down that road and it looks innocent enough. But that road will lead you just as far and farther than the Catholic Church has gone. Yeah, and that kind of, that was something that I was thinking about. You know, it's not like overnight the Catholic Church came up with with all yeah. of those things yeah. that you mentioned. That happened over you know decades and if not centuries. I'm sure that it took for them to arrive at the where they are on that. So yeah. just like you say, that's how error can you know snowball over time. Uh, you know that. Without even realizing it. You have to pull yourself back to that, that, that standard of God's word on a continual basis. It, yeah. it can happen to anyone. Hey, Jacob, we've got just a couple of minutes left here. I've got, an, I've got a question that Ramona sent in. We said we, we've got a stack of questions piling up, and I've got one here from Ramona, and I think we can cover it real quick. All right, let's go. you got two minutes. She says, uh, when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, as told in Mark, it states, uh, Jesus said, Am I leading a rebellion that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled, and there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now she wants to know who was that young man. Some say it was Mark or John. Now actually, Mark and John, there is some similarity that Mark is also called John Mark. Mm-hmm. Some say it might have been Lazarus. Uh, she she wants to know. Well, the scripture doesn't say, but it is commonly believed that Mark was identifying himself there. Mm-hmm. Mark, who's also known as John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, most think that, uh, he, although it's still it's still some supposition to it, speculation. But most think Mark was referring to himself. She said, did Mark put this there to show that even the boldest person with nothing to lose was too afraid to, st- to even stay when Jesus was betrayed? Perhaps so. And it was, uh, uh, you know, he, it probably a, a sort of demonstration of humility on his part. You know, that he, if that was Mark talking about himself, uh, you know, you, you probably would like for that part of your history to, to be right. forgotten. Yeah. But he actually... Uh, uh, saved it for perpetuity by putting it in his gospel account. Of course, the by gospel the account written by the Holy, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by Mark. Uh, but I, th- I think my my judgment is that Mark is probably talking about himself. And Anthony, there's no reason to believe that we would have done any different. Unfortunately, I mean uh, that's uh, we all uh, have things that we need to we need to overcome, and uh, and courage is something we all can use. Yeah, you know the the apostles all said, you know, they they wouldn't, you know, Peter said, I'll never, you know, that'll never happen. I wouldn't do that, and of course we know what happens. Yeah, exactly so, right. All right, we can all use some more courage then. All right, well, thank you for that question, Ramon, and uh, glad we got that answer. And we'll try to get some other questions that have been coming in real soon too. Okay, all right. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Enjoy thank you, the Jacob. Discussion, Anthony. Thanks for being here. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's been a while. Thank you. And uh, well, can't thank you for chatting in the chat room, but thanks for listening to the program tonight. I appreciate you for being here. And, again, we will remind you, if you've got any questions or any uh, suggestions for topics, send them in, questions at collegeu.com. And, by all means, make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.